Welcome to the Money Answer Show with host Jordan Goodman. Whether you are starting out, deep into your retirement, or somewhere in between, the Money Answer Show has the know-how to help you. Now here's your host, Jordan Goodman. Welcome to the Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Dennis Shapiro. He is an, an, an expert in alternative investments and has written a book called The Alternative Investment Almanac. Welcome to the Money Answer Show, Dennis. Thank you, Jordan, for having me. It's great to be here. Just start briefly with your history. You got into real estate at the beginning, but just we're going to get into more detail, but just a brief uh, kind of uh, summary of how you got to where you are today. Sure. So I started investing when I was in high school. My oldest brother gave me a copy of uh, Rich Dad, Poor Dad uh, when I was about 14 years old. And I remember absolutely hating the book at the time. And But what the one thing I got out of the book was that I should start buying assets. And the reason why I hated the book was that I just felt that he was probably making more money on his on his uh, tours than what he actually put in the book. Uh, but I did uh, take the step forward. I did uh, begin purchasing traditional stocks and bonds at that time. And I went to college with the, imp- uh, with the intention of uh, getting a career in some kind of equity fund management and with traditional stocks. And unfortunately, I started started uh, business school right at the time of the global financial crisis. So I remember I was interviewing for jobs one day and internships. And then uh, by the time I got to the second or third round of interviews, the company I was interviewing was out of business. So it was definitely an interesting uh, time period. So when I graduated uh, with my bachelor's, I didn't know what to do. So I looked around and I said, well, let me go back to school. Let me go for my MBA. And while I was in my MBA, I got recruited by the government. And when I got my first check from the government, I realized really quickly that they were not only my employer, they were also my business partner with the amount of taxes they were taking out. So I started looking into, well, how do I, uh, how do I actually reduce my tax burden? And that's kind of when, where I stumbled into alternative investments. Uh, I bought my first uh, rental property and I had every possible thing go wrong with that. And I was like, wow, I really don't want to scale this, but is there a better way? And then I started getting into more and more passive alternative investments, uh, mainly related to real estate. I started doing note funds and ATM funds. And what I started realizing was I never gave up on my traditional portfolio. I still kept my stocks and bonds, but what I realized it was really difficult to get income out of my stock and bond portfolio. Uh, But at the same time, on my alternative investment side, because there were private securities, it was actually much easier to create a higher cash flow uh, while lowering my total uh, portfolio's volatility. So let's just make the overall case. So why should people look into alternative investments instead of just be satisfied with traditional stocks, bonds, mutual funds, ETFs? I think it's what's your what what are your long-term goals? If your long-term goals are if you're gonna um, if if you want to retire and you're you're okay with a certain amount of income that traditional portfolios can produce, like for example, a low-cost index fund right now, you know, will yield you one to two percent. Uh, you could go with high-yield bonds and you could try to blend it together. But what I found was every time I tried to create income through traditional uh, traditional strategies, the same thing would happen over and over again. I would have a year or two of outsized yield and then one small correction and all my yield was gone. The alternative investments, however, because they're private securities, they don't, they're not subject to the same liquidity. So it allows you to actually store that yield and actually use that yield to uh, have a portfolio with higher cash flow altogether. Now, I know you have to be an accredited investor to do the things you're talking about in your book here, um, but do you have to have to be a sophisticated investor? Do you have to really understand complex things, or are these relatively simple for people to understand? They're relatively simple, uh, and most of the investments are for accredited investors. Uh, but if you start building out a network, there are going to be opportunities where you could joint venture with someone and actually participate in some of these asset classes without necessarily being an accredited investor. But for most of these, yes, you will. I like to say if you're an accredited investor, you get the full buffet. You could choose and you, you can you know, choose whichever investment you want to do, and there's, there's nothing holding you back. Yeah. Uh, You have a website, SIH Capital Group. What can people find at that website? So I have tons of educational material. So when I published my book, Alternative Investment Almanac, the way I structured the book was that I was going to give high-level introductions to some of these asset classes and then go into Q&As with 
in, investors in the space. So it was, I, my intention was instead of you reading 300 pages about apartment buildings, you can read 20, 30 pages and kind of make a decision if this is the right course, uh, if this is an asset class that you'd be interested in actually uh, investing in. And if it is, who are some experts to actually reach out to? So the one thing I did was I created abridged versions of my book where you would get some abridged version of the content as well as the abridged version of the Q&As. So you could download those for free off my, my uh, website as well as I, I have about 30 to 40 articles on alternative investments on the education portion of my website. And then do you also link people to providers who can actually provide you those alternative investments? So what I have is this year I launched an income fund. So the income fund is basically like a one-stop shop for investors that are looking where they might not have the time to go network with their own uh, operators. So this is it's, it's a much simplified version of what you can get if you uh, network and do due do diligence and underwrite your own deals. And it, it's just a simple structure. Now, I also offer my investor list opportunities that I come across to like co-partner on certain deals. Uh, they come across, you know, whenever I, I see something of value, but otherwise I have an income fund uh, that, you know, provides a set return for my investors. And I also provide individual opportunities from time to time as, as they come across my plate. And what kind of yield do people get in your income fund? Uh, my in- income fund is producing a 7% uh, preferred uh, return. Meaning it's a conglomeration of many of the ideas we're going to speak about all in one fund. Yes. Uh, so I blended together about five different assets. I, I, I wanted to be careful not to be too much of a jack of all trades. Uh, so it's mainly commercial real estate, uh, apartment buildings, but we also invest in some mobile home parks, some self-storage places, some uh, other funds that kind of do similar things, as well as notes and an ATM fund. Very good. Uh, You said that the FIRE movement, which is the Financial Independence Retire Early movement, has had an influence on you. Uh, How has the FIRE movement influenced uh, your thinking? So I was uh, a couple of years into my job and I started realizing, you know, I kind of came to the self-realizations of when I think a lot of people come to where the excitement of a new career kind of starts wearing off and you start looking at the possibility of working several decades in this career and whether or not this is right for you. Uh, so, so I was, um, I had that realization and I was talking to a coworker and at that time I thought my retirement was going to be more traditional. I'm going to need multiple millions of dollars to, you know, live a comfortable retirement. And I was speaking to a coworker and she actually was like, well, I just had this conversation with one of my coworkers and they recommended this blog. It was uh, Mr. Money Mustache. And I started reading it and I was absolutely blown away. And the math just became so simple. Well, it's 25 times your expenses. If your portfolio can produce that, you're kind of more or less, you, you've hit your uh, you know, f- fire number. Now, what I ended up happening is I got once I went down the rabbit hole, I kind of got entrenched by it and it came like a tunnel vision because it's, it's like a dangerously alluring uh, proposition when you start getting a number where you're like, okay, if I reach this magical number, now I no longer have to do anything that I don't want to do. So all you become fixated is this number and you kind of start really um, avoiding things that, oh, that might cost me money, so I'm not going to do this or I'm not going to do that. And you have this huge tunnel vision to get to this number. And what I think the fire movement actually misses out on after going through the whole process, going through the rabbit hole, is the fact that the tunnel vision can be so blinding. And you get to this point where like, well, when I retire, I'll go travel the world and I will homeschool my child and I will you know, catch up on Netflix. And what ends up happening is that I met a lot of these people that the same thing happened where they did travel right after they retired. And then they came home because you could only do so much traveling. Uh, they did catch up on their Netflix and they were caught up and they tried homeschool and they absolutely hated it. Uh, so and then they were like, well, what do I do next? So the, the, the years that they spent trying to get to the, the financial independence retire early movement, they overlooked what the next is really going to look like. And a lot of people, you know, then they start getting, you know, somewhat depressed or they have to go back to work. But it's just something that I think is important to mention. So they don't have a real vision of what they're going to do when they're retired. You're saying instead of having a sense of purpose, it was like a goal. And once they achieved the goal, they didn't know what to do with themselves. 
Yeah, I, I think you, you put it really well. I, I think they come up with a bucket list of things to do, but they don't give themselves this, a purpose of w- what to do afterwards. Very good. We're going to take a break. Uh, this is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Dennis Shapiro. He wrote a, a book called The Alternative Investment Almanac. You can find out more about that and all of that else he has to offer relating to alternative investments at his website, SIH Capital Group. We'll be back after this. I write a great deal since I've done 13 books, given many speeches, and I'm constantly writing emails, blogs, and memos of all types. I often have to write under deadline pressure, and I want to make sure that everything I write is correct grammatically, as is said, as clearly as possible. Now I use an app called WordTune, which makes sure that everything I write is the best it can be. It's like having a writing expert on call at any time to look at my drafts and suggest improvements. Now, I don't have to waste time agonizing over the perfect sentence because WordTune offers the best alternatives, and I pick the one I like best, and it makes the changes in my text instantly. I was recently writing up a business proposal, and WordTune gave me just the right words to get across why people I was writing to should approve the deal. You wand over the sentence or the block of text you've just written, and WordTune then suggests ways to improve it, and if I agree, I just click and the changes are made. Using WordTune makes me confident that what I write will be optimized for maximum impact. What you write impacts how people perceive you, either positively or negatively, so it shapes your prospects for success. That's why it's so important to write as well as possible. WordTune is powered by artificial intelligence, which means that it understands meanings of words and context, so you can feel confident that your writing is is as smart as you every time. It understands what you're trying to say and suggests ways to say it more clearly, more compellingly, and more authentically. WordTune uses the most advanced language processing technology out there. No other writing tool does what WordTune does. It's a complete game changer. WordTune is ideal for professional writers looking for an edge, managers aiming to make their points more clearly, and students who want to turn in their best work. WordTune works anywhere you're working online. It connects with Google Docs, Slack, Outlook, WhatsApp, and many other applications. You can try WordTune for free at wordtune.com slash moneyanswers. Get help today writing your emails, reports, presentations, resumes, blogs, and everything else. Go to wordtune.com slash moneyanswers. Nobody likes the guy who says, I told you so. The guy in 1991 who said to you, invest in the internet, it's going to be huge. Or the guy in 1997 who said, come on, this is going to be big. They call it social media. And the guy in 2009 who said, I'm telling you, man, crypto is real. Now, I'm not going to be that guy who says, I told you so. But I am telling you that there is a 21-year-old international company where you can become a global project partner, earning a passive income doing exactly what you're doing at this moment. No selling, no recruiting clients, no administering a business after hours. Visit www.mypassiveincome.life now. That's mypassiveincome.life. Don't let history repeat itself on this one. Earn a passive income. Now listen again. That's mypassiveincome.life. Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective, plus topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite host. It's just a click away at blog.voiceamerica.com. That's blog.voiceamerica.com. The Voice America Press Blog. All access, all the time. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now. Toll free. 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Dennis Shapiro. 
He is the author of the book called The Alternative Investment Almanac. You can find out more about him and his work at sihcapitalgroup.com. Welcome back to the show, Dennis. Great. Great to be back. Thank you. So you have many alternative investments to talk about. The first one we're going to talk about is life insurance and the infinite banking concept. So just briefly explain why that's a good place to have your money as an alternative investment. Yeah, so this is why I, I wanted to actually start the book off with this topic just because it was personally something I went through for like two years to see if this was right for me or not. So uh, in, infinite banking concept, you might have otherwise heard it as be your own bank. Uh, there's a couple of different uh, terminology, but they're more or less different marketing versions of the same uh, po- types of policy. So the policies are what I would call life insurance policies flipped on their head where most life insurance policies really focus on the debt benefit and everything else becomes a moot point, like well, whether or not it stores cash value, whether or not it's a whole or a term. A infinite banking concept is all about the cash value, which is like the little bank that is in these whole policies. So it, term policies don't exist. Uh, it doesn't apply to term policies. So these are very specific whole policies. Uh, usually, actually, it's always written by a mutual company. And you know if it's a mutual company or not is if mutual is in the name. So you'll you'll know if it's Penn Mutual or um, Mass Mutual or Northwestern North Mutual. The, the, the significance of the word mutual is that that means that the people who are uh, subscribing, who who end up purchasing the policy, actually become part owners of the actual mutual company. So it's not every yeah. mutual company that offers a, a whole life policy that fits this, right? It's not everyone. Correct. Uh, there's a few big ones. I'm not an agent, so I'm not selling you anything. Uh, yeah. So Mass, Penn are usually the, the big ones uh, when it comes to this. Uh, but it all depends on the person who's writing these deals. They usually have their set a few different providers that they work with. But you're absolutely right. It's not all mutual companies that do these, but if it's a non-mutual company, then there's like a 99% chance that they don't do these type of policies. So you do this, okay, you're building up cash value, you kind of minimize the death benefit and maximizing the cash value, which is building tax-free over time. What is unique about this as a way of building, you're talking about building cash flow. How can you build cash flow through the infinite banking concept? So there's two things. One, you have to really look at yourself as you're going to make those investments anyway. So let's say I'm personally want to, you know, invest in an apartment building. So the concept here is you build up one of these policies enough to the point where you could use the value in that cash value. You'd be borrowing against it, uh, but you'd use that to to purchase the apartment building. Now, while that money is being used on the apartment building, it's also earning you a, a dividend from the actual mutual company. So your money is starting to work for you in two different places at the same time. So that's one way is that you're creating this little bank for yourself that you can always have access to a portion of that cash value. But you do have to earn more than your, you are paying some interest on the loan depending on which policy, you have to be putting the money in something that's earning you more than the interest you're paying on the loan, correct? Yes, uh, great point. So the assumption here is that you would be using it on investments that typically will yield you you know, high single digits to, uh, to low double digits because the, the reason is the interest rate that you're going to be paying is usually around 5% for this. So you have to figure out can you arbitrage that five? If the answer is yes, then it makes sense. And you probably want to arbitrage it by a couple of basis points. But if the answer is no, then you might as well just leave it in that account. And you can also get benefits from just having um, that money available to you when you need it. And then you also get the benefit that after a certain amount of years, usually let's say 20, 30 years, and let's say you're 60, 70 years old, and hypothetically speaking, you built up a cash value of a million dollars, then what you could do is you could start loaning yourself money at that point. And at that point, it's since it's a loan, it's not considered income. Are there tax benefits of doing the infinite banking concept? Yes. So as long as you follow the rules because there are some. There's a concept called MEC, uh, modified endowment contract. So if you put too much in one of these policies, it will lose its designation of a life insurance policy. And if it loses the designation, then it loses the tax benefits that you get. Because if you loan yourself money from your life insurance policy, it's not considered a. Uh, it's not considered income. 
Now, that's only if you put a large amount in up, up front. If you put it in over, I think it's four to seven years, then you can avoid the MEC problem. Is that right? It's just putting a huge amount of money in up front. Yes. Yeah, so it's seven years is usually the magic number that they usually kind of uh, pinpoint on. But that's why it's important to work with someone. When you start approaching the infinite uh, banking concept world, you really have to work with someone who does these type of policies. You can't, you can't try to go to like a regular person who does term and hold all day and expect them to know the intricacies because it's all about, you know, these little nuances like the mech and the paid up, uh, the paid up riders and everything like that. So you really want to, you really want to, uh, go to someone who specializes in that. Yeah. Now, the next of your alternative investments is also in insurance, but it's kind of the other side, which is collecting when people die, which is the life insurance settlements. So just to briefly explain how that works. It's something where you're buying somebody's policy from them at a discount, and then you collect when they die, but you don't know when they're going to die. So you have no idea when you're going to get a return from this thing. So how does that work? Yeah, so this is one of the coolest asset classes that I've ever come across. And I was like, it's morbid, but you as an investor, you clearly understand the benefits of having something so uncorrelated and something that's tied into the, you know, one of two things that are uh, are given in, in life, right? Taxes and debt. So I think it's it was one of the coolest. I really wanted to really dive into this this topic. So what I ended up finding out was back in the early 1900s there was a famous court case. I believe it's Wendell versus Holmes. I have I mentioned it in my book. And what happened was uh, I forgot which one was the the plaintiff or or thing, but uh, one of them was the doctor and one of them was a patient. And the patient didn't have enough money to pay for their surgery, so he made a deal. He said, "Hey, I'll I'll make you the beneficiary of my life insurance policy. I'll sign it over if you do this policy." So the per- they did they did this transaction. He signed it over. He had this life uh, life threatening surgery complete, and he lived for another few years. But then he passed away. And then there was a series of lawsuits that went all the way up to the Supreme Court, and there was this decision that uh, was made was basically that a life insurance policy, because I think this was before uh, the Roaring Twenties, so life insurance policies were significant assets in people's uh, you know net worth. The uh, the Supreme Court justice made a ruling and basically said that life insurance policies are private property. So after a certain amount of years, usually it's, it's state specific, but once it's kind of like vested, then you could turn around and you could sell your life insurance policy. So that was that was pretty eye awakening when I kind of learned all of this. The second thing that I really found cool while researching the this asset class was that if you go into some of Warren Buffett's annual reports, uh, I believe 2004 uh, it was he actually was a huge buyer of these life insurance settlements. And so it was, and he laid it out really, really nicely. So basically what happens is once someone gets of a certain age, the purpose of that life insurance policy may have transformed from the time that he purchased the, the, the policy or he or she purchased the policy. So it makes sense at that point, instead of surrendering the policy and getting nothing, is to actually sell it. And it's not like a boiler room type of situation where the people who do these funds, these life insurance settlement funds, they're not calling these elderly people and they're trying to get them to sell. It's basically the usually the elder person goes to what's called a broker and then that broker puts them in contact with with someone. So they usually get top dollar. They get more money than they would have. And the benefits to the fund operator is now they have an asset that's uncorrelated to kind of the stock market and can produce uh, and can diversify and can diversify your portfolio where it's if there's a you know 10 20% correction then this this fund can still produce the returns that's projected now while you say you don't know when someone's going to die that's correct but usually these funds are very very niche and they're very specific so for example uh, the fund that I was looking at they only buy uh, they only buy policies from someone who's 91 years and older uh-huh. they found that certain actuary they they found that the actuary data could be off by more uh, percentage points and they would still kind of get the returns they're expecting because there's only a certain amount of standard deviations above 91 that a person will typically live in. So if they, even if they're off, or they're off by a year or two, you know, by the time they get to 92, by the time they get to 93, by the time 94, some of these policies are going to start paying out. Uh, so that's that's basically in a nutshell. If you if you have any specific questions about it, I'd love to go over but, it. So that's where the fund would have many. If you're just buying an individual 
life settlement policy. You just have to wait for that specific person to die, and that could be much longer than you expect. Yeah, and one of the things that I, I wanted to mention, usually when starting out, there's like a flow chart that you should approach these type of investments. Buying individual policies is probably the last thing you would do. You would want to buy a fund because you would want access to multiple policies, and you would want to kind of see the experience. You want to see it behind closed doors of how this fund actually works, you know, what is their strategy before you just go out and say, hey, I want to go to a broker and I'm just going to buy. The other thing is a broker is probably not going to take you seriously if you're a first time investor, but you never invested in any fund or have, you know, they, they, they don't want to teach you on this. So it's going to be a lot easier going the fund route, usually starting out in the life insurance settlement uh, industry. What kind of yields can people earn on life insurance settlement funds? So they don't really project. Uh, they don't really project that all, uh, like a specific number. But what they basically say is usually it'll take about uh, two to four years to start paying back, because it does take a couple of years. And usually the first part of the fund will they use that money to pay for future premiums. But once they once they can clearly see that all the future premiums will be covered, then they start paying out. Uh, but it's usually you could get a double digit return. Uh, but it takes years to materialize. That's the difference. So life insurance settlements, this is not one of those things where, oh, this is going to be a six-month deal because you're investing in a fund of multiple people. So in a span, they usually say, like, expect four years before you start seeing your, your returns. Very good. We're going to take another break. This is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Dennis Shapiro. He is the author of the book, The Alternative Investment Almanac which you can find out more at his website, which is sihcapitalgroup.com. We'll be back after this. What do you spend on subscriptions every month? Most of us think we spend about $80 a month on subscriptions, but actually we spend closer to $200 a month and sometimes much more than that. Truebill is the new app that helps you identify and stop paying for subscriptions you don't need, want, or simply forgot about. On average, people are saving thousands of dollars a year with Truebill. See all your subscriptions in one place, keep the ones you want, cancel the ones you don't, right from the app. And your Truebill concierge is there when you need them to cancel unwanted subscriptions so you don't have to. No talking to humans, no difficult conversations. A lot of people have saved a lot of money with Truebill. I know somebody uh, who saved $660 a year on their direct TV bill. Another one saved $120 a year on their Sirius XM bill. Some people have saved $840 a year or more on their car insurance that they didn't realize what they had. Truebill now has over 2 million users and has helped save them over $100 million. Start canceling your unused subscriptions at Truebill.com slash Money Answers. Go right now to Truebill.com slash Money Answers it could save you thousands of dollars a year. Stocks, bonds, investment opportunities, financial news, and talk. We can help. Call us now toll-free, 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. or someone you love have a life insurance policy that's no longer needed or not affordable? Did you know that you can sell your policy for cash? Your reason for buying life insurance has probably changed. Thousands of Americans turn to life insurance settlements to help sell their policies. They act as your representative, getting the highest market offer for you. You've got nothing to lose by simply inquiring. If you're over 64 with $100,000 or more of life insurance, you may already qualify. Call 877-485-6681 to get your free non-binding appraisal or visit FundingLife.com. Life Insurance Settlements. Discover the true value of your life insurance. 877-485-6681. Jordan Goodman is an affiliate. He recognizes quality solutions, forming relationships to help improve the lives of his listeners. Tune in to the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics, reaching a global community. 
Our experts come from all walks of life, and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Dennis Shapiro, author of The Alternative Investment Almanac. You can find out more at his website, sihcapitalgroup.com. Welcome back to the show, Dennis. Uh, Glad to be here. Next one is apartment buildings. So that's been controversial lately because uh, a lot of people have not been paying their rent. There's these moratoriums on uh, throwing people out. What is the current situation on buying apartment buildings uh, in the middle of the pandemic? It's surprisingly not as bad as uh, not as bad as what you would hear in the media. Uh, so I call apartment buildings like the gateway. Uh, drug of alternative investments because once you kind of learn apartment buildings, it makes it so much easier to transition to being an investor in the other spaces like mobile home park self-storage that we'll probably get into next. Uh, so apartment buildings, usually the bigger outfits, what ends up happening is that there's professional property management and it's also very state specific of what's going on right now. Uh, for example, Texas is, I, I think, pretty lenient on that versus other states. You know, it kind of goes with the whole blue and red uh, divide on which states are more landlord or tenant friendly. Uh, but it, each apartment buildings in itself is a very um, it's it's not a one size fits all situation. Uh, there's different levels of apartment buildings. Uh, they're broken out to what's called classes. So they'll be in a class A apartment building. There'll be a class B apartment building, and there'll be a class C apartment building. Usually, never hear the term class D. It's usually um, class C and above even though class C is commonly mislabeled. Uh, so it all depends. So your class A, you'll, you'll, you know, you'll get the infinity pools there, you'll get the gazebos, you'll get the, the dog parks there, the valet trash service. So those, uh, those at, that asset class has done surprisingly really well because that's not really where the, the job losses took place. Now class B is also actually doing surprisingly well because a lot of people that were worried about what's going to go on with the economy, they kind of came down to the class B and were like, well, instead of three pools in, in the complex, I'll, I'll pay a little less uh, rent and, you know, maybe have a pool from the 1980s or 1990s. And then, you know, a class C asset on the other hand, that's where you kind of saw the struggle. And for the most part, the most apartment building operators have done really well to navigate that. They are they were working with their property managers pretty early on to work with the tenants. The only real problem that you would get is when the tenants themselves stopped communicating. That's where you saw the frustration with apartment building operators, where they were reaching out, they were trying to get them to apply to all these different programs, yeah. and the tenants would just say, no, you know, stop calling us, this is harassment type of situation. Um, the it's it's looks like it's you know they they just extended it but that might be short lived, uh, but it isn't it wasn't to the point where um, it's like an op, uh, apocalypse. It, it was more like there was a lot of uncertainty early on during COVID. There were a couple of pauses and distributions in some of the operators I did invest in, but when the dust kind of cleared, they're like, okay, this isn't this isn't that bad. And you know, instead of 100% collection, we're getting 96% collection. So it's yeah. still surprisingly strong. The key here is to be diversified, where you don't just own one ap- apartment building. You invest in uh, apartment buildings in various states, and you're familiar with the landlord tenant, how friendly it is, so that you're not overly committing into something that's a state that's overly tenant friendly because then you will have more problems if something ever like this occurs again. Yeah. The next uh, one you have is long-term mortgage notes. So this is where you're giving a mortgage to somebody instead of a bank. What What is the advantage of doing that? You have to do the underwriting. I mean, you'd think there'd be a lot of losses or something like that. Yeah. So it all depends. So a lot of people are not familiar that they could be the bank. And this is like a nice compliment to the whole infinite banking concept. So what ends up happening is um, there are different position, uh, different positions. So the first mortgage on the property is your first position, but then like a HELOC and a secondary, those are your second position loans. And what ends up happening is each one of those positions can be sold off. 
Uh, it also allows for current investors who, let's say, have built in a lot of equity into their property. And instead of just selling the property and realizing one huge gain, what they could do is they could actually write the mortgage for the buyer that's coming on. And they don't have to deal with the, you know, the toilet uh, problems and collecting rent. But at the same time, they'll be collecting, um, they'll be collecting a stream of income going forward. The biggest advantage is, even in today's low rates, you're still taking advantage of, you know, a typical amortization schedule. So even in, you know, a situation where you have a 3% mortgage, you'll be so surprised where if that, if it takes you 30 years to pay off that mortgage, you're you're paying double or triple. The, the principle that you've borrowed from day one. Uh, so you now, as the person who, who writes the note and who or buys the note, you can take advantage of that amortization. Yeah. Uh, the, the other big, big benefit is that once you own the note, you could actually split the note. You could, you could sell off a piece of the note. So it's a 30-year note. You could sell off the first five years or you could, you know, you could sell off a bunch of 10-year notes and then you'll keep the, the remaining 20 years of cash flow in the behind. So you can get really creative uh, with these notes. And the best part is they're still secured and collateralized by, the, by actual or physical asset. Yeah. The next one is mobile home parks. Now, people think... Those are the kind of people that are going to be hurt the most by COVID, losing their jobs, uh, getting foreclosed upon. Why would mobile home parks be a good place to invest in today's uh, economy? So mobile home parks are actually surprisingly one of the hottest asset classes in the alternative investment world. It went from, you know, 10 years ago, no one was buying them to now they're cap rates, which is like the, the capitalization rate of what they're buying it, is getting in line to what you see in the apartment building world. Uh, so the main reason why you'd invest in a mobile home park is there's multiple different types of multi- mobile home parks, but the ideal mobile home park is you're literally just renting out the land. So it's usually you, the utilities are connected to the public and the actual home belongs to the uh, belongs to the tenant. So that means they're not responsible to pay for any of the expenses and they're just kind of paying a lot fee. So if you think about it, you just own like this huge parking lot and you're you're really just expected to keep the roads clean, you know, landscape. Uh, snow removal, stuff like that. Now, there are many different types of mobile home parks. That's the ideal one. It goes down to where the utilities are are private, and that can get a little messy. But the bottom line is that it could be a very low-hassle way of investing in real estate. What kind of returns can people, what kind of yields can people get with a mobile home park that's run well? Oh, this this varies. And just like the classes that I was talking about, there are like class A mobile home parks where you'll, you know, you'll get the pools and a beautiful, uh, you know, resort like feel. Uh, so they'll be on the lower end. And then there, there are projects where it's a high turnaround. You know, it, it can be a high crime park. And maybe for the first year or two, you're not really seeing any returns at all. But once you get that park cleaned up, you know, you could be looking at uh, double digit returns easily. So it, it, it does vary of how much work is going to be put in. But usually the good operators, they could squeeze out, you know, a double digit return uh, without much, you know, well, I don't want to say without much problems. But usually with a good business model, they could get a double digit return. And those are funds or individual do it one mobile home at a time, one mobile home park at a time. Both are options. Both are options. So I am invested in a mobile home park uh, a fund, and they own multiple mobile home parks in in that one fund. I, I think there's something like 30 to 70. It's actually blended with self-storage. Uh, so there's 30 to 70 assets in that one fund. But however, there are deals where you can you can actually invest in one specific park. Now, also, I know you mentioned the accredited, whether or not you know you, you could be accredited or not. This is one of those things that you know if you go and you find a local mobile home park, you could partner with one or two other people, and you don't need to be accredited for that, uh, as long as you know it becomes like a joint venture and you could participate. But th- the same terminology, the same understanding you need to know to partner and invest in a large fund, you'll, you'll need to know that the same terms for you know your joint venture local park that you're going to be actively running. Your next one is self-storage funds, so where people put things into lockers and so on. It seems like there's a lot of those being built all over the place. Is there too much capacity in that area? So this is interesting. So uh, 
This one is, I, I think the stats are that the first stuff storage popped up, I, I forgot if it was the 50s or 70s, and then it's just been an ex- absolute explosion afterwards. So stuff storage is interesting because usually the stuff that negatively impacts apartment buildings is actually very, very favorable for the self-storage. And I, I believe they're the four Ds. I just hope I get them right. So it's divorce, uh, debt, downsizing, and... Where's the where's the last one? Um, the last one is skipping me. So it's a nice uh, it's a nice compliment to apartment buildings because the stuff that might hurt you as an apartment building investor actually uh, benefits you as a self storage. Now, th- that being said, mobile home parks are basically no one wants them in their town and no new ones come aboard. Self storage is the opposite. It feels like almost every other block you get one. But the interesting part about it is they have this their own. Uh, I guess demographics that they look at. It's they look at the one one mile, three mile, and five mile radiuses. So apparently, like ninety percent of the customers will come in within that three mile radius. So even though there might be, you know, a tons of them in the, in the local market, there still might be room for another one, depending on how saturated that three mile, uh, you know, that three to five mile range actually is of self storage places. And again, what kind of a yield can people expect on a good self storage unit? Similar. So the the um, the factor that's dictating the prices for all of these assets related to real estate, apartment buildings, mobile home parks, and self storage is what's called a cap rate. So that is basically what the the market is willing to pay uh, for the income that the, the these properties actually produce. So in most cases, you can get similar returns between the the self-storage mobile home parks and the apartment buildings. It just depends on the project you're involved in. So the heavier the value add, it's called, the heavier the amount of the, the more you can increase the net operating income, but it will range. So like a perfectly great, you know, self-storage that is fully optimized and has the U-Haul trucks and the moving supplies and everything like that, you know, that might yield you only five, six, seven, eight percent. But then the self-storage where the owner was the original builder and he's never implemented U-Hauls, he doesn't sell any shipping supplies, and you could go in day one and actually do those low-cost value adds, you can, you know, you can eke out, um, you know, double-digit returns quite easily. Very good. We're going to take another break. This is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Dennis Shapiro. He's the author of the book, The Alternative Investment Almanac. You can find out more about it and all of what he offers at his website, sihcapitalgroup.com. We'll be back after this. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. Are you a homeowner tired of making monthly mortgage payments with little progress towards paying down your principal? Does paying off your home in five to seven years without making larger or more frequent payments sound appealing? Paying off your home in full in five to seven years is really possible thanks to Truth and Equity's Mortgage Equity Optimization System, a money management approach that puts your money to work for you 24-7. If you own a home with some equity, have a decent credit score and verifiable income, you owe it to yourself to learn more about Truth and Equity's program. There's no need to replace your mortgage or refinance in many cases. The system works for new home purchases as well as current mortgages. Your home is your largest investment. Own it outright in five to seven years. Call Truth and Equity, 888-262-5540 or visit truthandequity.com, 888-262-5540. Jordan Goodman is an affiliate. He recognizes quality solutions, forming relationships to help improve the lives of his listeners. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Dennis Shapiro, author of The Alternative Investment Almanac. You can find out more about him and his work at sihcapitalgroup.com. Welcome back to the show, Dennis. Thanks, Jordan. The next one is ATM funds. This is where you have an uh, automatic teller machine in a location like a, a grocery store or a convenience store, something like that. Um, what, what is the advantage of that for investors? 
So this is a tough one for investors to get their mind around. Uh, they usually try to they try to see how they can actually make money on an investment. And usually investors that are willing to invest in ATM funds don't actually use an ATM funds themselves. So it's tough for them to get around. But the truth is there's a large portion of the population that cannot use banking services for whatever reason. And there's been this, um, you know, competition with ATM funds where everything's going electronic and, uh, you know, people use uh, PayPal and, you know, Venmo and everything like that. But the truth is there's still a large group of population. I think it's something like 17% of the the, uh, popul- the American population that actually uses ATM funds and they pay a transaction fee. And as an investor in an ATM fund, you get a piece of that, a uh, piece of those uh, transaction fees, uh, you know, if it's a well well spaced out fund, you know, it's not just in one location. There's uh, tons of locations, and the business model is very unique because an apartment building, for example, you invested in in five to seven years, you expect that apartment building to be more valuable. However, when was the last time you seen an ATM machine that's older than seven years? So what ends up happening is the the way that the cash flow is set up it's extremely high cash flow from year 1 through 7 and then at year 7 there's basically no value left in those ATM funds and you're walking away with zero at that point do you replace the the ATMs at that point and put in new ones nope the fund is usually exactly 7 years to match the life of the fund, the ATMs i see i see very good okay all right well that's an interesting one but in the meantime what kind of returns are you getting up front in those first 7 years so usually the way the way it's projected without the tax benefits because they do depreciate uh, pretty aggressively, uh, you're usually in the high teens on those. So basically, after four years, you kind of have all your money back, and then year four through seven, you kind of uh, you you make your profit. Yeah, your next one is tech startups. Now this sounds extremely risky. I mean, a lot of companies never make it, or certainly never make it public. How can you uh, invest in a tech startup to produce current cash flow? So this is one of those where I kept meeting real estate investors that have a tech background. And what I found interesting was that they their nine to five gave them unique advantages to actually invest in a startup uh, because they 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 lived it. They, they work it. They live it. And sometimes that's actually a safer investment for them than for them to invest with an operator that they really don't know of or, you know, or farmland that they've never farmed before or something that's outside their comfort zone. So this is one of those things where uh, I wanted to write the chapter to get people to think that, hey, maybe there's something that I do actually have an expertise in. Like I know a lot of doctors and, uh, you know, there's a lot of medical startups that, you know, may work for them and it'll be easy for them to actually understand. Uh, so that's basically where I was coming from the tech startups because in the real estate world, a lot of the people you network with have a tech background. So it also allows the allows me being prim- primarily an apartment bu- a building guy investor to actually get valuable information opportunities from people that I trust because I exchange information about the apartment building world with them. Uh, so a couple of years ago, I actually created an investment club. And one of the members in my investment club, he has, you know, huge tech background. So he'll he'll pre-screen, he'll actually screen us out the deal, and then that allows us to actually make a more informed decision. So there was something called the Jobs Act passed in 2012. How does that make it easier for people to get into tech startups? Uh, the Jobs Act has actually it can be applied across the board and actually has made it uh, easier to get into any one of these asset classes. Uh, a lot of before the Jobs Act, a lot of these types of investments were called country club investments, where basically operators would be signed up to a, a country club or a golf club, and they would be pitching these deals uh, in the course of them, you know, with their fellow country club members because they want to make sure they'll be able to get, uh, you know, investors for their deal. And the Jobs Act actually allowed it where they set certain guidelines where if you follow these rules, you can actually advertise the deal. So the Jobs Act is the reason why on Facebook, if you're, you know, if you're, uh, you have certain likes and interests, you're probably getting offered to invest in this alternative asset class or this or the other one, uh, because now it's actually legal to advertise. Or if you have a pre-existing relationship, uh, it's it's has opened the door where in you know a nine-year process, a nine-year. Uh, time frame, the amount of operators out there in the alternative investment space probably 10x from where they were in 2012. So you're saying that networking is an important part of this, of 
being in the right place to hear about the deals that are good going forward. What role does networking play in being a good investor in this alternative asset space? I think it's huge. I, I, I tried to go on record and say, like, if you're not going to network at all, then you might as well just stick to stocks and bonds and, and you know, uh, invest in an index fund. The reason why networking is so critical is because a lot of these investment minimums are high. Uh, these are private securities. So it's, it's a costly endeavor to actually create one of these securities. And, you know, the minimum on most of these deals are 50000 so if you're gonna sp- if if you're gonna invest fifty thousand dollars, you could do a lot of networking for free. You could go to conferences, you could uh, network on LinkedIn, and that can um, that can change your results tenfold. Uh, because what ends up happening is if you talk to an operator, every operator is the world's greatest operator because part of their job is that they're marketers. Now, when you talk to investors, you're going to probably get an honest assessment from someone else who just put $50,000 in their deal. So being able to exchange that information, and it's it's pretty readily available, but it's not like you you can go online and pick out a site and say like, oh, how did this operator have done? So it requires you to network with other investors who are doing, like if you invest in an apartment building, you need, to, you need to network with other apartment building investors. And, you know, it'll probably take you months to build up a relationship where you can have honest conversations. But once you get to that point, you could exchange information. Hey, I'm thinking of investing in operator X, Y, and Z. Have you done any of his deals? And w- one way or another, you know, if, if, if there are bad things about that operator, it'll get out if you ask five to six different uh, investors in that space. Yeah. Um, so what? just summing up, what kind of a difference can it make in people's investment portfolios to use some of these alternatives we've talked about instead of just sticking with traditional stocks, bonds, and mutual funds? The main thing is if, if, if a person is actually frustrated with the income options. I've always, I for 20 years, I was investing in traditional stocks, and I always just wanted my portfolio to do two things. I wanted it to appreciate, and I wanted it to create income. And the part that kept getting me was the part about creating income. Every single time I tried the utilities and dividends and closed-ended funds and MLPs and every strategy you can think of, I tried it. It, it frustrated me how how poor it performed versus my regular index fund. And every time that there was supposed to be a crash and it was supposed to be protected because of the high yield, it never did as well as my, just if I would have just put my money in the index fund. So after all those strategies, I stopped looking at my two different portfolios as a verse situation. I stopped looking at them as, well, I have a traditional and I have alternative investment side. I actually kind of merged them together. And I said, you know what? I could stop focusing on trying to squeeze income out of my traditional. I could let it. I could put it on autopilot. Let it do what. Let it do what it does best. Not really spend too much time. I don't have to network because if you network too much in in traditional world, you might get accused of insider trading. And I could spend all my time networking in alternative investments and building up my knowledge and my educational base for alternative investments. And the two can complement it. And I could get the appreciation I want from my traditional side with the appreciation and cash flow and lower volatility I want from the alternative investment side. Terrific. Well, you've given us a lot of really great ideas. Uh, My guest this hour has been Dennis Shapiro. His book is called The Alternative Investment Almanac. You can find out more about it and the whole network that goes with it and more education at sihcapitalgroup.com. Thanks so much. You've been an interesting guest. Thank you so much, Dennis. Thank you, John, for having me. Thanks again. We'll be back next week with another edition of The Money Answer Show. Goodbye for now. Thank you for joining Jordan Goodman and The Money Answer Show. If you have a question for Jordan, please visit his website at www.moneyanswers.com. And be sure to tune in every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time right here on Voice America Business. See you next week.